our goal is to scale it and to share it with a lot of people, which it was, you also have to make sure that you can make money and that the products are profitable and, and that they can help people. And so we kind of got that point down of scalability and put this into a lot of stores, but hadn't dealt with kind of the foundations and the core of the product because we loved, you know, it was like our baby. We were like, this is awesome, but we weren't honest with ourselves and some of like the fundamentals of the business. And so I think that's a hard conversation to have, but you have to put yourself around people that will have those kind of conversations with you and challenge the business model in an honest but helpful way. When Caroline Beckman realized that 70% of your immune system is found in your gut, she made it her mission to help people make more proactive health choices. This led her to found Nori, a company that rests on the principle that leading a healthier life starts within the gut health solutions that support you as a whole. After being an integral part of the founding team at Suja Juice, Caroline branched off on her own and decided to focus her mission on creating unique gut health solutions. From formulating innovative capsules to raising venture capital during a pandemic, Caroline not only embraces challenges, but is here to tell us all about it. Coming up, you'll hear Caroline's fast track from undergraduate student to founder of Nori, how to have difficult conversations with employees and investors, how integrity and honesty can help bring a peaceful resolution to a failed venture, Caroline's approach to marketing and branding, how homeschooling gave Caroline a taste of the startup work life, Caroline's hack on sourcing email addresses for your business prospects, her tips on fundraising from a few hundred thousand to millions of dollars, and finally, Caroline's best wellness tips through a tough year during COVID-19. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Caroline, I am so excited to sit down with you today and learn all about your entrepreneurista journey. You started your career when you were just 18 years old. You were at Suja Juice as one of their first employees. Can you share a little bit more about how you got started building your entrepreneurista career? Yeah, well, first and foremost, thank you so much. I'm so excited to chat today as well. And yeah, my career began very unintentionally. Actually, I was two weeks into university down in San Diego had just left home for the first time, was about 17 years old, and uh, got connected with a group of entrepreneurs. About a year later, we officially launched this juice company called Suja Juice out of San Diego. We launched it into Whole Foods as our first customer. So that was a really great start for the brand. And that's how I got involved. I just kind of signed up and thought of it as a fun entrepreneurial journey and a fun little internship while in college. And it grew into quite a lot of my life. So it was fun. How long were you involved with the company? I was involved from 2012 to 2015. So kind of we went from zero to about $50 million or so of revenue. And we had just done a, an investment deal with Coke in Goldman when I decided to scoot out. So yeah, about three and a half years from 18 to 21 years old. <laughs> so I was so impressive. a baby. <laughs> were you still in college? I was in college for the first year and then the second year I ended up I ended up not going to very many classes and so just decided 
that it was time to take a year off and I haven't gone back since. What were some of the key lessons that you learned while you were at Suja Juice and how did your role evolve over the years? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I was so young, right? I mean, you're so 18 years old, it's your real first like professional job. And so I learned how to go from idea to action, I think. So a lot of execution. Emotional intelligence wasn't quite developed that well yet, but the the execution aspect of like self-starting and getting something done from start to finish, which is so powerful. I learned that there. So among many, many other things, that's what I would say I learned from a high level standpoint. Uh, And the role evolved from all of us quite literally making juice and um, ordering produce and things at the beginning, like hand squeezing hundreds of thousands of bottles of juice to doing a lot of inventory demand planning, a lot of production planning because it was growing so fast and kind of felt so unstable. And then into a lot of distribution and working with customers. So kind of saw the whole thing evolve from the top up or from the the bottom up, but it was a diverse few years. That's for sure. Uh, How did you know when it was time to do something else? Yeah, it's a great question as well. I had been speaking with the CEO's daughter about exploring some other things in different areas and became really interested in gut health myself. So ended up just deciding it was time to, it's time to go. And what was that next step like? What did you do next? Yeah, so we were then at the time 21, so still very young and wanted to kind of take a lot of what we learned at the juice company and put it into more of like a snackable beverage. So we created this brand called Nomva, which was amazing. We only had it open for two years. So it was a lot of learning through things not to do, but it was this amazing concept of taking the fresh fruits and vegetables that we learned so much about at Suja and putting a probiotic in them and creating this kind of hybrid between a beverage and a snack. And so launched it, but the product itself had such low margins and we scaled it into about a thousand doors really quickly. So it was just incredibly difficult on the cash flow side of things. And so we just decided ultimately that the product wasn't going to be able to make money as amazing as it was. And so we ended up closing the business, but it was a really great experience and got me really into gut health and what I've been working on now. So it's a segue, but a learning experience for sure. Well, before we get into what you're doing now, I want to hear about some of those learning lessons from building oh, yeah. that company. And you said you knew it was time to shut down when you know the margins weren't there, but take us back to some of those early days, you know, start Starting that business from from nothing. Yeah. So I think one of the best things you learn in situations like that in any relationship really is just there's an art to having hard conversations and an art to honesty in conversations. And I think as creators, a lot of times we love what we're doing a lot, but we have a lack of ability and some blockage to having honest conversations and really getting to the, the, the bare bones of things. And so one of the things we learned with that is that, yeah, you can create amazing things and beautiful things, but if our goal is to scale it and to share it with a lot of people, which it was, you also have to make sure that you can make money and that the products are profitable and, and that they can help people. And so we kind of got that point down of scalability and put this into a lot of stores, but hadn't dealt with kind of the foundations and the core of the product. Cause we loved, it. you know, it was like our baby. We were like, this is awesome, but we weren't honest with ourselves and some of like the fundamentals of the business. And so I think that's a hard conversation to have, but you have to put yourself around people that will have those kind of conversations with you and challenge the business model in an honest, but helpful way. So that's one of the things we learned a lot about. And then again, I mean, this was the first time leading anything and I was 21, 22, 20 to 24. So again, very, very young in leadership. 
So it was a lot of learning how to listen and a lot of doing things like one-on-ones with key team members or every team member when the team is small. Um, those types of rescheduling of priorities where you spend most of your time with people, not most of your time on a task. And so that was a huge learning lesson for me with that second company. With the second company, uh, who did you surround yourself with who challenged you, made you really think about the numbers and whether or not this was a viable business model? Yeah. So we didn't have a lot of those conversations, unfortunately, (laughs) early enough. We did have some, we had some good advisors. I think a lot of people were more scared to tell us the truth though than not. So now what I've done and what, you know, I would do in hindsight is to have really good and really diverse. You don't need a lot of them, but a handful of different, I think it's helpful to have men and women who can give you feedback on some of those things because it does come across differently. And there is a different delivery mechanism to the truth essentially. So yeah, I mean, I think those advisors early on who aren't necessarily invested and don't have any sort of financial gain one way or another. They just care about you and can give you a really cut and dry answer is important. Did you have investors in that company? Yeah, we did. We had a full cap table in that company and a lot of investors that were similar to the ones that we had in Suja, the first company. So it made that a little bit easier, but we did. It was was a full, full blown deal. So what was that like when you decided to close the company? You have people who've believed in you, invested in the company. What is that process like? And then how did you feel having to just, you know, let everything go and then start, start over? Yeah, that's, it's a really weird feeling, but you just do it with integrity. I mean, you do it with integrity and you do it the right way. And you, what I did was I just picked up the phone and called every single person and talked to them and everyone was on the same page. They thought it was the best decision. A lot of them were friends and family. A lot of them had just exited and made money on the previous companies. So sort of it was like a reinvestment. And we had conversations and a lot of communication go out often. So no one was shocked or anything. And we just relationally had a discussion with each person and talked to them. And thankfully, it was so peaceful, to be honest. Um, The only thing I was bummed about was I love what I do. So it felt like I was losing like, you know, losing my dream job kind of thing. And it's a lot of work, but that's what it felt like. It was like, wow, I love what I do so much. And so that was that was the harder part, I think, was just realizing that personally. And then with the team, you know, there's just certain things out of it's part of its legality, but more so it's just confidentiality that you can't tell your whole team. And that was really hard because there's certain things that, you know, in hindsight, I want to just like tell them everything, but it's not, that's not appropriate. And so that was really interesting to learn at a young age of just what's appropriate with leadership to share and what isn't because as much as transparency is everything, you also have an obligation to your shareholders and to other people that you have to protect. So that was really interesting to navigate. And my gosh, I'm so thankful for it. It was such a good process to learn. And then how did you end up starting your next company? Yeah. So Nori, beginning of 2018, just started to look from left to right and decide kind of what I wanted to do next. I thought about maybe helping out a couple of different venture funds that were in the space, in the food and beverage space and doing different things. But just the creator inside of me had more that needed to needed to be created. And so I knew I wasn't ready to do anything more corporate yet. And so I thought about, you know, what I'd done in the past. I really revisited how much I love this intersection between advancing consumer health every day and making people feel better and then business. I love both of them equally. And so just really wanted to stay in that intersection. And I personally was getting sick over a couple of year period and was just a little bit frustrated about it. And as soon as you peel back the layers, 
you realize that 70% of your immune system is in your gut. And so then I peeled back more layers in the gut and I was like, wow, this is so intriguing. Like this is an area of human science that's just colliding with consumer products right now in such a cool way. If I do anything else, this is where I want to be. And then the more that I learned about it, I learned how important it was to get a preventative approach going versus a reactive approach. And so I just thought, wow, that's that's what I want to do. I'm either going to join a company that I think is doing this really well right now, or I'll start one and looked around and there wasn't anything that I was really aspiring to be like in the gut health space. I wanted to be something that was very, very respected, but also approachable, something that kind of held the credibility, but also was friendly enough to go you know, meet someone where they're at and help them on their journey. So that's really how Nori was born. And our whole goal and purpose is to just create a proactive approach to gut health. So we have to take a quick aside here because the name of your business also happens to be the name of Courtney's dog. Except without the you. Oh, yes. (laughs) Spelled differently. (laughs) So I want to know where the name came from. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's actually an Arabic word and it means, it means light. And I love that. And so I just started playing around with different names and I was pretty particular. I wanted something that was completely unique. I wanted something that had two syllables. I had all these kind of things. And I just found that I was looking for a word that meant light and light in life. So like a lot of what we do within the gut health is like all to do with life and good bacteria, blah, blah, blah. So when you're doing names, right, you're like searching high and low and like scouring every closet for any idea that's quasi good. And so I was like, wow, light. And then I started rolling with it. And I was like, Nori, that's a really cool word. And that's how we came up with it. So I feel like we actually don't talk about this a lot on the podcast. I want to hear more about your naming process and Oh gosh. What did you do? Like, were you, you searched like Googling different terms and making lists and how long did it take you? With this one, probably a couple of months. Okay. But it's something that's like, when you're creating it too, a lot of people will hand that naming over to agencies. And I personally could never do that. I, I could never hand over naming. That's like, there's a lot that I can't hand over easily, like packaging and logos and stuff, but naming I cannot hand over. So it's one of those things that until you have something that you like and you can live with it and sleep with it, you're like, uh, okay. When you wake up in the morning, and you don't hate the name. Then I'm like, all right, this might be good. That's kind of how I go through it. But I mean, you try and find like for different products and stuff. If it's a food product or has a different taste or color, it's kind of a little easier. But then, I mean, if it's just overall meaning of something, that's where it gets really hard, tricky. Once you've developed the concept and discovered the name, what did you do next? How did you get this all off the ground? Did you raise money? Where'd you find your initial team? Yeah, so what we did was we wanted to start with probiotics. I really wanted to start with seeing if there was a unique way that we could disrupt and deliver probiotics in a better way. So the next step was to spend a lot of time in R&D. And so the first year, I didn't have any fundraisers. I just self-funded the business and worked on R&D. So I went to all these different probiotic like bacteria factories all over the world, which was really fun and such an adventure. And then came up with kind of the structure of the business. And then the kind of meantime, I started to work with someone to help us on branding. So that was the initial team hire. The initial team was someone that I was referred to that had great mutual friends in LA. And I was living in LA at the time. And she helped us with branding. And then the next team member was our leader of science and kind of happened at the same time. And so those were the initial two team members I'd worked with David, our leader of science before. Uh, and so I knew him and knew his background. And he was just at a good point in his career to jump on and help us. And and then the branding, we just started to play around with different things. So that was kind of how the initial year went. 
And then I knew really certainly that I wanted to approach it from an omni-channel standpoint. So I wanted to approach retail and online. And so I started taking meetings with different retailers. So I met with like Target, I met with Walmart, I met with Whole Foods, met with CVS, a bunch of different retailers. And just because of the way we were starting with a product that was a little bit more expensive, sort of technical, was using plant-based ingredients, I knew that Whole Foods was our number one pick. And so ended up structuring a deal with them to launch nationally at the beginning of 2020. So then we kind of backtracked in from there from a resource standpoint, raised some capital from friends and family. And that was in early 2019. How did you get those meetings early on before you even had product? So, I mean, a lot of people just assume like, oh, you'd work with Whole Foods before. So you kind of can just like, you know, walk a product in on a leash and get it placed. And it's not like that at all. The category managers are really, really good. They're really talented at what they do and good at what they do. But also this was a whole new category for me. I'd never worked in digestive health, immune health, gut health before at all. So these were all new buyers. So I just guessed first and last name at whateverretailer.com and just put like the innovation in front of them and a little one pager and an email. And I think I got into every single one we emailed, which was awesome initially. And then there was a couple people that I asked for, Hey, do you know the buyer of, you know, whichever line, but you can email them. It doesn't mean they're going to email back, right? It has to be something that they're interested in and you have to, you know, be thoughtful in the way that you pitch it. But I think it was Walmart. I showed up and they buy more probiotics, like for our category, more probiotics than anyone else in the world, just because the the volume and the size. And I showed up and the buyer was like, wait, so remind me, how did we meet? I was like, oh, I guessed your email. She's like, oh. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty funny. It was great though. And they're really, we're still working with them on a few projects right now. So yeah, it's a little different, but that's the, that's the background of like the entrepreneurial hustle with that. I still do that every day. I did that for a couple buyers yesterday and you know, sometimes you hear back, sometimes you don't, but if it's something that they're interested in right now, we've got really interesting categories to people. So I'm able to like, just roll with it and pitch it. What's your subject line of your email? Gosh, I mean, I've gone with kind of a little bit of everything. There's the like classic like introduction to Nori or like the product, like our new product's called Inner Immune. So it behooves us if it's, if it's a buyer pitch and they're resetting for cold and flu season right now to put Inner Immune in the subject line. So sometimes if the actual product makes sense to talk about, I will, but other times just like introduction to myself and the brand, I introduce myself and that's, yeah, I don't, I haven't done anything like crazy spammy or weird. I did used to do it like with you do RE and then colons, mm-hmm. but they think they're already on the thread. That sometimes works, but I feel like now it's just like a email marketing ploy. Yeah. So <laughs> I usually just introduce the brand or the product and, and go from there. Such That's a really, tip. really good tip. Yeah. How was your business impacted by COVID and, and everything that happened this yeah. year? Yeah. So we had just launched, just had put product in warehouses all across the country. So we had just filled up warehouses with product. So it would have trickled out to like 25 out of 400 stores that it was meant to be in. And then the pandemic starts to really hit. And so at that point, a lot of our stores, almost all of them didn't reset with the product. So for about six months, the product sat in the warehouse and didn't get to the stores. And it was completely one of those like hands tied. You can't physically go into the warehouse and put it on the shelf yourself. So that was how we got impacted. So from a year one of a business, like this is the worst year to start something for, for all intents and purposes, not the worst for some people, it's been the best, but for like a physical good that you're moving around. I mean, this is a hard year, supply chain, et cetera, but we are working on something that has just gained 
the most momentum it's ever gained. So what's cool about that is that, yeah, right now I wish we were kind of, if I could paint it perfectly, we'd be like five years old, you know, like just really have good feet under us and know what we're up to. But the good news is that the whole category grew, I mean, just exponentially probiotics did. And this whole, you know, thing that we're really up against is education. And so as we look at education, it's just really, really expensive to educate and re-educate and re-educate. You've got to do it so many times. Well, now there's this momentum at our backs that a lot of that education, you know, for all intents and purposes, instead of seeing someone seeing an ad five times on Instagram, now they're going to see it once or twice, right? And then they're going to actually engage with it because there's a lot of momentum on the back right now. So we see it as a good thing. It's a good thing to get people healthier. It's an, a great thing to understand that your digestion and your immune system are one system. Like these things are awesome because they're going to help human health overall. So I'm excited about that aspect of 2020. Our, our innovation was expedited this year. So we just dove right into that. So that's been a huge impact of just the season on our business has been to innovate. But yeah, cash flow wise, it's tough and it's tricky. and We've got to be really intentional and we're almost through the woods. So Hopefully 2020 is a great year for everyone. (laughs) Yes. Coming up, Caroline's top three lessons she has learned as an entrepreneur and the value of hiring someone who came highly recommended. Caroline, can you share some of the lessons that you learned from the first two companies you were involved in and some of the learning experiences that you now took to Nori. So maybe you didn't make some of those same mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, talk less, listen more, right? And early on. So listening a lot more to just people that are a lot wiser than I am. So when it comes to R&D, finance, anything in the factories, just listening a lot, listening to my team a lot more. That's the biggest one. And then the other thing too is we do a lot of one-on-ones. So every single week doing that with different teams and departments is so awesome because then just helps people to self-start. So there's no need to check in with them on Monday at 1 p.m. If you're having a one-on-one that's productive every week, you do that for an hour or so and then really empower people to self-start. So that's been a huge lesson for us. And then the third one for me personally as a leader is boundaries. So turning off the computer at a certain time, taking one day completely off of every every, every weekend so that I can rest my body, my mind. So those are the three things that I've done a lot differently this time around. And something that's really interesting to me is the product development aspect of, of all of this. So how did you figure out the manufacturing and, and product development process of probiotics, something that to me sounds so complicated. (laughs) Maybe it's not. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's crazy. Those manufacturers, you know, the way that you have to think about it, they're sourcing and then growing and stabilizing live bacteria. So it's definitely something that's not for all intents and purposes. I mean, they're not, you know, making silverware, right? It's, it's something that's completely unique every time. And so with that being said, we were really specific and I was really specific on quality. So it starts with the product that you have that you need to create and kind of that begin with the end in mind vision. That's the first thing is to figure out what is the end result that you're after and then backing into who can make that and then really getting granular with who can make that well. And so there's a lot of different 
different people who could bake something and or say they could do it. But then you have to really have that wisdom and discernment to go and chat with them and to, for my for my business, I visit every single one of them and sit down with them. COVID has interrupted it slightly, but sit down with them face to face and really read their body language because they're going to be making something for you. And so it's important to connect with people when you're choosing that. So it starts though with what product you want to create, you know, and then, and then really going backwards from there. There's not a great, there's some people that have tried, there's not super awesome or well used across all industries platform to like plug in what item you're going to make and then have all the sort of suppliers spit out. So that's that something sounds like a good make. business. Uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it hasn't really been cracked yet. So I mean, for people that are entrepreneurs that understand this with physical goods, there's a lot of Googling involved. So if Googling and cold calls are a huge part of the supply chain when you're getting going oftentimes. I think that's how Alibaba works, but I'm not too, I'm not too familiar. Ooh, I haven't checked out Alibaba's site yet for, for manufacturing anything, but I should. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. So I want to hear a little bit about your hiring process and how you find really great employees. Any tips you can share there? And do you have a go-to interview question that you always ask? So with hiring, I am such a fan of recommendations. It's crazy how far a recommendation goes. So that's a tip too, if you're looking to get hired, uh, if you know someone who can make a recommendation for you to someone, potentially if you're one degree of connection away, that's super smart because I love recommendations. So that's how we hire a lot of people. We have done some hiring just on websites and posting on LinkedIn, et cetera, but it usually is a much longer process when we do that. So almost all of our hiring we do through references. And then if we're striking out, then I'll reach out to a few advisors and mentors to ask them if they have anyone in their network. But that's how we've hired everyone so far. And then with interviews, I really like to understand where people want to go. And mostly, even if they don't know exactly where they want to go with their career, I want to understand what they want to learn. So I'm a big learner. So if they are stepping into a role, I want to know like, hey, why is this interesting to you? What do you want to learn? Because I, I believe that even if you're making great money, if you're not learning and engaged with the work, it's a lose-lose situation. So I try and understand that during each interview. How big is your team now? We have six people on staff, so we're super small still. And then we have in our different warehouses and co-packers, we have teams there, but they're not on salary for Nori. Is there a particular question that you like to ask in your interviews that is very telling? I do like to get an understanding of what people are reading, reading or watching. That's one of the questions that is pretty telling is just what are you into? What are you reading? What are you watching? I think it goes back to the learning thing for me too. I just want to make sure that people don't get bored in their jobs and in their lives. So sometimes that's different. Like it's really cool with like new parents are reading a lot of like parenting books. That's a really cool one to hear the feedback on. But that's something that I don't know. It's not like it's make or break, but it is, it is revealing and it's cool. Are you all working remotely right now? We are. Yeah. So everyone's working remotely and we're looking to do kind of a, another shared space or we work situation early next year, but it's been a digital working. We're using our DigiCards. Oh, good. Oh, good. We tested them out this week. Well, let us know if you need some more. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Do you think that you'll keep some elements of remote working as you expand the team? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of sales is going to change too, because that's why we travel a lot in our industry, pitch to talk with buyers. So I think a lot of that's going to move digitally because people are understanding how much time and frankly, resource was wasted on it. So we're going to keep a lot of aspects of remote work, but then have a place that is flexible for people to come into it when they need to. Because I do think that uh, the separation between home and office is important sometimes for different seasons of life. Definitely. So I want to talk a little bit about the fundraising process. And we actually met through a mutual connection, Kara, who yeah. is a, a friend of ours and an investor of yours, correct? Yep. Yes, yes, that's right. So I would love to hear a little bit about what it was like raising money this time around and any tips or advice you can share, because a lot of our listeners are thinking about raising money for their business and may not know where to start. Yeah. I mean, the biggest tip is only raise it if you really need it. And there's a difference between what and need. So I think that for me, I am raising money for this business specifically because we have hurdles like inventory that are frankly just really hard to get around unless you raise money or unless you grow at a really small scale. But we think that right now, particularly why it makes sense for us to raise money is that we're building things that are really unique and have a really great place in the market right now in this season. So we're raising money to really support that belief and the investors that we've spoken with agree with us that these are products that are going to help a lot of people and that have a really unique time to get them out. So that's why we're raising money right now and why we've decided to take in more capital. Um, So, you know, when it comes to raising money, there's, again, I'll go back to the same thing that I said about hiring a team. It's really great to get a reference. You know, once you've understood how much money you think you're going to need, those numbers are always wrong, but you've got an idea of what you think you're going to need. That will sort of guide you into what types of conversations you're going to have. So if it's a couple hundred thousand dollars or a few hundred thousand dollars, it might make sense just to, you know, pitch it to friends and families and individuals. But if it's millions and millions of dollars, then it makes sense to go into more of an institutional deal, perhaps. So it's different. It's different depending on what you're creating. Is it a software? Is it a service? Is it a product? But then also, like, how much does it cost you to make and how much do you do you need to get it going? So some people never have to raise money and I often days envy them. It's it's fun to have the relationships and to build relationships through fundraising, but it's a lot of work. And I think it's without a shadow of a doubt, the hardest thing any entrepreneur can do. It's incredibly difficult. Are you still fundraising now or are you past that stage? Yeah, we're fundraising now. We're closing up around as we speak, which is awesome. But yeah, we're fundraising now. And then we might raise, this might be our last fundraiser. We might raise one more round. Uh, just depends on how many products we come out with and when. What has been your marketing strategy since you launched? Yeah, so we've done a lot of in-store marketing and education. That's been our number one focus with in-store. And then online, we've been doing a lot of friends and family gifting. So trying to get as much feedback as we can, just organic gifting of different influencers, but really just community members at this point and people that are engaged. And then we've just started to do more digital advertising. So we're launching a foundation soon and that will be integrated into a lot of our marketing and what we do in the community. So we're not doing a ton of marketing until we really get the foundation up and going too. Have you been doing in-store marketing since COVID? We just have been able to train the employees via webinars. So it's the anything in stores, direct to consumer in the store is not, not not really on right now. So we've been doing a lot of employee and staff training uh, digitally. What is your ultimate vision for Nori? 
Yeah, what we've been talking a lot about is this idea of community and immunity coming together. So co-immunity. And that's really what we're about is about supporting our communities and communicating that there's an opportunity really by 2040. Right now, we're looking at about 70% of people that'll take a proactive versus a reactive approach to their health in certain areas. And so we're really just looking at how can we spread the power of health equity. That's the, that's the big grand vision. How we're doing that is we're creating gut and immune health solutions, and that's where we started. But that's how I really view it is getting the right products and the right education into people's hands and into their minds so that they can you know, be on a whole different flip side of where we're at right now by 2040. So we're seeing a lot of really cool ways to do that and something that I firmly believe in. So that's what's motivating to me every day. Well, tell us about some of these new products that are launching. Yeah, so we've got three products right now that are in capsules, capsule format for those that prefer capsules. And it's a duo cap, and it delivers twice as much bacteria into the body as any of our competitors because we use two, two capsules in one. And so that's the first product line. And then what we're really excited about is we circled up in March as the pandemic really started to kick up and really thought through what consumers need. And we believe that there's a huge need to reach more people and to do so in a way that's very directly connecting the immune system and the gut. And so we launched a product just last week called Inner Immune. And it's really the only product of its type. It's in a format very similar to emergency or a powder that you mix directly into water. But what we're doing is we're treating the immune system through the gut. And so the product is actually built as a gut health and a digestive health support. But what we're doing is we're, we're really looking at it from the standpoint that 70% of your immune system is located in your gut. And so what that means is that if you don't treat the gut, you really can't treat the immune system. And they're one and of the same. And instead of overdosing our bodies and revving them up with different vitamins and minerals, we believe that we should take a more sustainable and daily approach to the immune system. And I think this year was a big wake-up call with how we can approach that problem, how we can create a solution that solves that problem for as many people as we can. And so that's the format that we decided was best to do so, which is this sachet that tears off and you can use it just about anywhere. And then the price point is going to be anywhere from $149 per serving to $199 per serving. So it's approachable from an economic standpoint. And yeah, we're really excited about it. And then we, we took out all the sugar and all the calories. So it's a really clean product. We're only using plant-based sweeteners and made it yummy, but really healthy too. So Can't that's wait what to we've try been it. On. You guys all have some headed to you right now. Yes. So that's what we've been working on. So we have one flavor out right now, a few more in the pipeline and just looking at a big national retail launch for January. So just coming up for cold and flu season, but in the meantime, we've been selling it on Amazon and on our website. So it's fun. It's just the best. Up next, Caroline's best wellness tips and how being homeschooled help her learn to self-start. So what does a typical day outside of working look like for you? Yeah. So I'm a morning person. So I usually start my days like at four or 5 a.m., which is crazy. Oh, wow. But yeah, it's like I got I to have quiet time. So outside of work, I enjoy to travel a lot. So COVID's been a little difficult on that, but been taking a lot of road trips, seeing the family a lot. So I really enjoy traveling. I'm heavily involved right now with the World Economic Forum and with some programs with public sector as well as Nori in the private sector. And so we've been doing a lot with 
looking at our local communities and developing education and employment programs. So outside of work, that's been a huge responsibility. But yeah, I'm usually with my friends and my family. And as long as the weather's good, I'm outside. So we, you know, COVID's been a lot of hikes, a lot of just getting out of town for a little day trip. But normally we'd travel and go explore. That's, That's the best thing to do when I'm not working. What are some of your best wellness tips? Of course, taking Nori, but in addition. <laughs> you know what? I got to say, especially this year with as much stress as everyone's carrying sleep, like I've become like a sleep Nazi. So, I mean, that's, if I could say one, one wellness tip for this season of all of our lives is just focus on your sleep. So, I mean, focusing on how you can be well rested and get enough. I don't think that enough people are. So that's as you know, basic as it gets. But for this year, that's what I've been pretty obsessive about. We had the CEO or the co-founder of Eight Sleep On last year, and she was talking all about how important sleep is and getting your rest and all of the science behind it. And I know for me, if I don't get enough sleep, I am a mess zombie. So yeah, it's so true. It's so important for longevity. So sure. I have not been a good sleeper and I'm just, that's my focus this year. Do you put your phone down at a certain time so you're not looking at your screen? When I, I've got all the rules, like I've got like different like uh, essential oils and then I've got like, the, I have to have the house like at 68. So super cold, dark, dark room. <laughs> I mean, all the things, but yeah, the, the blue light, the computer and the phone before bed is like the so worst. Bad, yeah. So mm-hmm. I try and read, I just read. I just read until I fall asleep. Wait, what essential oils do you use? I'm obsessed with essential oils. (laughs) Oh gosh, I've got a couple of like doTERRA. Yeah, yeah, that's what I use, yeah. Their nighttime blend one. Calm, I think it's called. That one's amazing. And then lavender. But yeah, I'm into it. It's, It's helpful, especially with sleep. What would someone be surprised to learn about you? Oh, this is a fun question. I was homeschooled. So I was actually homeschooled until high school. So traveled a ton played soccer. I was training like six days a week. And then I was just doing homeschool like a few hours a day, kind of similar to what kids are doing right now. But we would do like all of our schoolwork for the whole week in one day kind of thing. And then we'd have the whole week. So yeah, that was, it was a very different way of education growing up, but I think it planted a ton of seeds of entrepreneurship. So it was not Zoom school. It was like traditional homeschool, but I loved it. I'm considering that for Molly. So I want to have a separate conversation with you about it more. Yeah, I've got really strong feelings about it, both good and bad, right? Being a product of it. And then also what I believe about education now. So definitely ping me on that one. Yeah, thank you. I kind of want to learn about it now. (laughs) What are the pros and cons to it? I mean, okay, so... I think that it's so different right now talking about this in, you know, September of 2020 when homeschool means Zoom. That's not what it was. So I think the good things were, which I've completely learned has had an impact on me entrepreneurially. You learn how to self-start. So you're not like told to go to a desk and sit down and pull out the books and do the thing. And it's you self-start. So like our school room, we had a whole room in the house that was dedicated to our classroom. And we had, and this was, you know, 2000, 2000, the early 2000s. And so we had like a huge table and then whiteboards. It looks like a startup office that does now. Like that's what our schoolroom looked like was a startup office, like all co-working spaces, et cetera. So that was really cool was you're learning how to self-start, you're collaborating. We had a different tutor for every subject. So almost every subject. So we had like different tutors that would teach us. So that was really cool too, to get to learn from different learning styles 
but it was very independent, very independent. And then it got to a point where I loved it because we started to travel a little bit more and I learned the most, I mean, I started going to Europe every year when I was 11 and 12, would save up every year for my plane ticket. And as long as I had enough money, we, you know, we'd go. So all that being said, I mean, those are the things that like homeschooling affords you to do. I thought about it a lot. You know, I want kids someday. And if I'm still working in business, I'd probably homeschool for certain seasons just so that they can experience some cool stuff that they couldn't get in school, but it's different for everyone. And then the bad things are just like, you don't, there's some things you miss out on. And there's some, you know, there's some things that are social things that you have to be really intentional to develop if you are going to homeschool kids long-term. So what was it like going into high school being previously homeschooled for I loved all those it. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I had friends at like every school in the city, like the Catholic school kids, so the private school, the public school kids. And I ended up going to this really great public school. And so there was, I think like 31 languages spoken on campus, super diverse, jumped into student government and everything. So yeah, I loved it. The transition was great. What is your favorite mantra or maybe a quote that you live by or that defines who you are? Yeah, I think with all of what I'm doing within work right now, it's begin with the end in mind. So to just be really intentional to start at the finish line and to have that envision purpose of your life, what you're after, what you're doing, and really to let that filter through decisions and actions day to day. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew sooner? Oh, geez. Yeah, there's and there's a lot that I don't know now that I wish I knew. I would say the whole concept of the art of a hard conversation, that stuff is you can never learn that too early of how to have a hard conversation productively. And then just listening more like that's a huge one for me because when I get an idea in my head, I want to go and run with it really quickly. And so just that patience of listening more. But yeah, I mean, the conversations are so important and especially within business, they're so important to have those productively. So that's something that would have been totally great to know a few years ago. So how do you become a good listener? Because I know we keep going back to that. Are there tips that you can share? Yeah, I think it's being more curious to more like humbly curious, right? To actually learn about, you know, what someone's saying and what they have to say. And for me, it's a speed thing of slowing down, right? So just you've got to slow down in order to listen. And so that's been, you know, interesting is like ridding yourself. I think practically speaking, rid yourself of the distractions, never bring a phone or a computer into a meeting with someone. Those types of things, I think, make a huge difference. So that's what that's what I'm on the journey of right now. Was your family entrepreneurs? So yeah, so my mom has her own business. So she works in accounting and finance and has her own business. And then my dad works in finance as well. So he wasn't in entrepreneurship, but my mom definitely was. So yeah, it was very interesting. I think once you kind of catch on to an idea that you like, there's a lot of people that are, they, you know, didn't grow up with entrepreneurial parents at all. And they had an idea and they wanted to execute on it. And I think it just, it honestly is not something you can teach. It's just something that you guys know it because you guys are entrepreneurs too. You just learn it every day and you, you wake up and you have to figure out how you're going to solve a lot of problems by the end of the day. Yep. And it's addictive. Yeah. <laughs> what do according to so addictive. It's a thing. An entrepreneur is a disease, a good yeah, disease. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It is addictive. And it's, I think it's an the addiction. learning aspect. <laughs> yes. Lastly, what does being an entrepreneur mean to you? Yeah, I think that it means, it really means giving back to your community. At the end of the day, looking around who needs help and creating solutions for them. So I think that's what it means for me is looking around at people that I know personally, but also the wider 
community and generation and figuring out what solutions they need. And I think that can be done in so many different ways. Sometimes it means just raising awesome kids so that the next generation is different and they think differently and they act differently. That's a huge aspect of it. But for me, that's at a high level. It just means serving your community and it means to figure out what you can do in your power to find a solution for others. Absolutely. You've shared such incredible words of wisdom and pieces of advice. Thank you so much for taking the time to continue to share your journey and story. And we can't wait to follow everything that's going to happen with Nori next year. Caroline, where can everyone find you, follow you, and of course, buy your incredible products? Yeah. So Nori is on social at Daily Nori and then our website, dailynori.com. The products are available nationally on our website and also on Amazon and on Entrepreneurista's website with the code Entrepreneurista20. So you guys can link to the Entrepreneurista website, also Nori's website. You can use that code for 20% off. And then I'm on socials as well at Caroline Beckman. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for being here and that awesome discount for our listeners. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneurs. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.